Hi, this is the GLA Book Club special on Disco Elysium. I'm Wooly Shambler, here with Mike. Hey. Who played the game once. Specs. Yo. Who played the game twice. And Ian. Yo. Played the game at least four times. <laughs> I played the game twice. I played the game in a total of two times, but like, those two times were halfway each. Yeah, so suffice to say, we're all pretty big fans of this game. Yes. It came out last year, got glowing reviews for pretty much everywhere that I've seen. And yeah, Fair Fox did it, because it's fucking awesome. Didn't it win Game of the Year for Best Writing? The Indie Game of the Year, I believe, it won. From where? From like the the Game of the Year awards, from like um, Jeff Keighley's thing. Oh, Best Narrative, Best Independent Game, Best Role-Playing Game, and Fresh Indie Game. It also was nominated for Seven BAFTAs, which is the British Art and Film television awards i think oh yeah yeah i saw that recently nice yeah so it's done really well and it deserves a lot of the praise it gets because like i don't often replay games and i was invested enough in this to replay it basically straight after finishing it yeah i think this raised the bar on like video game writing especially role-playing game writing like the the way the skill system meshes with uh, how the narrative is is told to you is just so fucking great and i always want to see more the Washington Post also really loved this. Uh, like, even, like, my local paper, the Richmond Times-Dispatch, like, had something on it at the end of the year. This was the actual return of something like Planescape Torment, as opposed to, you know, Torment, Tides of Numenera. Yes. Oh, I forgot that came out. I didn't even play it. There's, like, plenty of good things in that game, but, like, there's a reason there wasn't, like, a giant splash when it did come out. Like, it... it didn't really replicate a lot of sort of that same feeling like like it wasn't a page turner like this is yeah so while this is a crpg and we've had stuff like it before the main difference with this and like old crpgs is there's not really any combat and i really like that about it i like just sort of talking to people to solve all the problems it's really nice and i wish there were more things that did stuff like this yeah yeah i like it as well because it's like it's a big throwback to DD campaigns and how like the game really tries to replace a, a dungeon master for you which is always like going to be limited because like a human ai that's pre-programmed is not going to have all the like responses that a human being is going to have that's improvising but it's do it's doing a really good job for what it's trying to do. Like I think it's really original. I think like the uh, th the fact that the obstacles in the game are very much in the tone of the universe. You're not expected to solve the crime by shooting and killing half the population, like some other video games. Yeah, and that's that's what I really like about it. I guess we should say for people who, if if you're listening to this and you've not played the game, there's going to be spoilers. Go play it, seriously. If you haven't already played it, yes. Yeah. You're missing yeah. out. You're just missing out. If for any reason you're not going to play the game, you play as a detective and you are tasked with solving a murder as well as other kind of crimes and investigations you can pick up along the way but the main one is is the murder you're also an amnesiac uh, go figure it's a video game um Jeez. you don't remember anything not even like you don't remember your own name you don't remember what money is you'd like you literally know nothing about the world so your player character is in exactly the same kind of condition as you are because yeah yes uh, not because of a curse or mind control or magic you were just drunk as shit for the last three days well, there's still, there's a lot of theories. Well, yeah, you learn that by the end, yes. They're, they're, they throw you for a loop with it, but I suppose we actually should start with the, uh, like, waking up part. Yes.
There is nothing. Only warm, primordial blackness. Your conscious ferments in it. No larger than a single grain of malt. You don't have to do anything anymore. I love the wake-up scene because, uh, well, for one, one of the things you'll notice at the first few moments of the wake-up scene is the voice acting. Yeah. <laughs> which, when your body parts start talking to you in the first scene, when you're, like, still unconscious from, well, later in the game, the game gives you several theories as to what happened to you. And you can pick if you have, like, enough of the side stories unlocked. Now, you can make up different theories as to... It wasn't just the alcohol, for example, you could say. And you can actually roll with that and actually make that why you lost your memory rather than the alcohol. Really lets you retroactively, like, build your dude's backstory. Exactly. Mm -hmm. To some extent. To some extent. Not all things are influenceable. Your primordial lizard brain and your limbic system give you really, like, they really put you down in the beginning. It just They're always ragging on you. Oh, yeah, yeah. The stench of liquor rises from your mouth, and with it, an ungodly headache. Yeah, they just rag on you for a while before pulling you out of the void into a trashed hotel room. You're hungover as fuck, you have to pick your clothes off the floor. And these are, these are voices in your head talking to you, like the entire game... Well, not the entire game is narrated by voices in your head, but you, you get, like, little hints and helps and sort of advice from 20 different skills plus occasionally the lizard brain limbic system at one point your spinal cord just like egging you on to do specific things that they want you to do don't forget your clothes oh yeah <laughs> oh yeah the more you power them up the more they will give you advice yeah it might not always be good so they, they tend to take the form of a passive skill check, um, and if you pass the check because you've got enough points in that skill, it will tell you something like, uh, it might tell you that someone's lying to you, or it might tell you that this person does a lot of drugs, or, you know, just for example. Uh, sometimes there's just, they will just chime in without needing to pass a check, but um, that's part of the replayability of it, is that you will get different dialogue from your brain when talking to the same people, depending on your skill arrangements. Mind you, you can also get, like, too good. Like, for example, the skill descriptions will tell you this. If you're too invested in a single skill, that skill will start giving you just outright weird advice. Yeah. Like, y the checks that will give you will give you bad answers that you can tell the NPCs. The NPCs will go, you're weird and then give you penalties on further checks that you have to roll for because now they think you're a, you're a weirdo and you're giving off really weird vibes. Yeah, the skills themselves have a personality and they each have kind of agendas. Um, so I played like a physical character in the first one and, you know, had like a lot of points in physical instrument, which is kind of the, the you know, athletics, like musculature sort of skill. And like one of the things that comes off is like, while it's very encouraging to people who want to do any kind of athletic thing, like you're, you're super excited about working out. It's also incredibly insecure in its masculinity. Mm. Oh, yes. Like you see a picture of a guy with a haircut and it's just like, yeah, that's kind of th what's up with that. You would never let your hair get cut like that. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> Quite often it'll just call you a sissy if you choose to like talk to people instead of like flexing your muscles at them as well. So yeah, yeah, it wants you to act a certain way. Yeah, no, it literally tells you like while people are just playing a game with a ball, like it literally tells you it's just like go there and throw this ball as hard as you can. You know how to do it. You're a champion. You don't need to know the rules of this game. You can just go. Some of them are on the political spectrum as well, so another one of your physical skills, I think it's endurance maybe, is a fascist and a woman hater. And you've got skills that are more like communist, you've got racist skills as well, and you won't notice it at first, but occasionally you'll realise, oh, this skill always tells me what nationality people are. That's a bit suspect. Yeah. And then lets you bring it up for no reason. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it, it doesn't explicitly tell you. You're you're just basically forced to figure it out on your own. The game does give you subtle clues that some of these like advices that especially some of the some of the intelligence checks are very very constantly going off. Ah, this guy is clearly from that nationality. I can tell because I have got a racist catalog in my head. Yeah, and encyclopedia especially, and kind of logic as oh, well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I believe it is largely holdovers from the old character that you're playing. Like, you're supposed to still have, like, some remnants. The way the character builds is you've got all these fragmented bits of memory and skills that your character starts out with. That's basically the cop you build at the start when you pick all those skills. Yeah. And from that backstory, you you rebuild this fragmented person, this broken, basically dead person like he doesn't exist anymore you're taking over from him yeah that's a good way of thinking about it like you become him and you make him the way you want him to be he's not really a character he is just a vehicle for you to do what you want to do with him yes but you are like expected to rebuild from him like yeah yeah you are limited like later on in the game you will find as well that no matter what your choices there are some things you cannot run away from in regards to harry's past no matter how hard you try yeah you cannot run away from it yeah, the different skills could be kind of just seen as, like, the, his different impulses. Like, you're thrown not just into, like, where he is in the world, but into his mind. And those, you know, like everybody, you people have competing impulses within them. They're just given kind of explicit voice as opposed to sort of, you know, inconsistent internal monologue like people might have. Yeah, one of the first of these impulses you get as you walk out of your room is you see a woman stood on the sort of mezzanine and your electrochemistry skill just tells you you want to have sex with this woman, hit on her. For me it was suggestion, but there's multiple that that will will just go, oh you're horny right now, you should go for it. Before we keep going on the story, uh, what build did you guys do the first time? Uh, My first build was uh, empathetic and motoric with low intelligence and physical. My first build was quite high on intelligence, quite high motorics, a bit less physical, and basically none of the the psyche skill, so no empathy, nothing like that. Mine was similar. Decent intelligence, good physical, terrible empathy. Ah, yeah. All, uh, All physical, good amount of coordination... No brain stuff. <laughs> <laughs> no empathy, no intellect. Well, because like what I what I saw like in the character select thing, it's like, okay, pick a character. It's like, all right, I want to see how this goes. So I want to try and deliberately be as like, like break the game as much as I can. Like, let's see how smart you are, Zom. <laughs> Shivers and Half-Light are some of the coolest. Uh, oh, yeah. C- coolest skills in terms of what they pop in to say to you. 
Yeah, that and Inland Empire. Oh, yeah. Yeah. As I think one meme said, Shivers is the part of your mind that is aware of what Kanye West is doing right now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's a really good way of putting it. Like, you'll occasionally, your brain will just be like, do you feel that? Yeah. Do you feel what's going on in the motorway, like 20 miles from here? And you'll be like, uh, <laughs> tell me more, I guess. But it is very poetic in how it describes things. It's like, it's very melancholic and it really describes the city that you're living in very well. Because that's what Shivers is, you're connecting to the city. Yeah. It even says that in the, in the, in the description. And it's, it's very... It really helps with world building a lot. Like, a lot of what this game does in terms of world building is absolutely stellar work. I have never been hooked into a fictional setting as effectively as this game does. It's an interesting setting because, like, it's close enough to our reality that, like, you understand how things work, but it's got a completely different history. There's been this revolution that kind of mirrors stuff that we've heard of in our history, but is very different. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. You're exploring a very, very small part of the, the total setting that is being described and brought into the game in yeah. various ways. But you get a great sense of it. Yes. Yeah, totally. There's a lot of foreign cultures described, mostly based on some kind of real-world culture. I'd compare it to, like, somebody's Civ game that they just changed the names of all the countries of. Mm. Like, either the, the Dutch and the French run the world. The tech level is kind of pseudo-Cold War, but there's no TVs. Some stuff's just missing. It is tough to put it down because they even say, though, that like a lot of the architecture of where you're around is like pre-revolutionary. And so it does. Ha it, it has like a very like art deco and like classically influenced kind of thing. Like it definitely has, though, like an old world kind of feel where there there are kind of like modern bits among like really, you know, sort of classic older structures. Yeah, there's a few common concepts of our world, like disco, fascism, the Political spectrum is generally the same. Yeah. Well, it's kind of, uh, humans are still humans. Mm. Yeah. You've got stand-ins for our historical figures, like, um, what's his name? Krasmazov or something? Is yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, he's Karl, Karl Marx. He's like an amalgamation because he's, he's simultaneously Karl Marx, like he's the theorist behind it, but he is also... Stalin. Kind of Lenin and, because, Lenin. and <laughs> Stalin because he led the revolution and he has... Some of the, like, the generalissimo kind of qualities, too, with, like, the pauldrons and the beret. Dolores Day is Jesus Christ. Yeah. Yeah, you've got, um, there's, there's bits that are mentioned that sound very much kind of like the Vietnam War as well, mm. uh, when you're talking to some of the mercenaries and stuff, so. Oh, yeah, Leishman. Wasn't the setting, it's, like, based on the author's previous works as well, right? He wrote a novel. Loosely. The, the world is, but none of the setting, like, it's all new for the game, mostly. To kind of, like, focus back in... Let's get back to the story. <laughs> well, yes. we're, we're going to talk about generalities at the start. So, so waking up afterwards, it's, we're down in the lobby after... Uh... No, we're going to talk about the expression, dude. The expression. Oh, oh yes, expression. the expression. Okay, mm. yeah, yeah, yeah. You rub out the fog mirror and you see your own face. Uh, it is the face of a late-stage alcoholic. <laughs> you are permanently stuck in a, like, a, just a weird grin that's supposed to be charming that you took from a disco star from, like, 20 years ago, and you can't get rid of it. Yeah, I mean, you can if you pass a really hard, like, is it composure check? No, or? it's electrochemistry. Yeah, it's electrochemistry. But that yeah. makes it worse, because then you're just a sad old man. 
Yeah, I really regretted getting rid of the expression because you just look upset for the rest of the yeah. game. <laughs> you, it's very upsetting. It's <laughs> right from the get go when you wipe that mirror, like you. Uh, well, right when you wake up, you realize you're playing a failure, a failed human being. And when you wipe that mirror, you really know, oh shit, this guy's way too into himself, even though he's he fucked up. Yeah. Oh wait, no, this is me. Oh no. Oh no, oh no. There's a few oh no, this is me moments in the game that we'll get onto <laughs> later. This is the first. <laughs> There's another one right after you come out and Miss Orange Disco Dancer, the, the sexy lady we mentioned, tells you you're a cop. <laughs> you're a police officer, sir? Well, even before that, you could die of a heart attack trying to get your tie off the fan. Yeah. Yes, if, you're, if your health is low enough. The tie is interesting as well, because if you have enough in a stat called Inland Empire, which is a... It's like your mysticism, kind of like... It's your Dale Cooper shit. It's yeah. your imagination. It's, it Basically, your tie will start talking to you if you have a high enough Inland Empire and you, you like succeed on a passive check, and then throughout the entire game, the tie, as well as your brain, will talk to you. It is the unknown. It is anomalous information. The tie regularly talks to you, but only talks to you if you wear it. So if you're getting tired yeah. of it, you can just take it off. And it is kind of snide about it. It, it. it will say it's like, well, if your tie was talking, it would start to point out that, you know, such and such. Yes, it, it can get very sassy. The bartender hates you because you trashed your hotel room and the lobby. Yes. Yeah. Uh, last night, you were waving your gun around. You broke a stuffed bird that was there, I think. Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, no. You're a hero. A real hero cop. Yeah, you'd like absolutely trashed a cassette player in your room and you were up until three in the morning singing sad as fuck songs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, as, as you come down the stairs as well, there's like a karaoke setup in the bar that you're staying above. And uh, again, Inland Empire will be like, we're singing karaoke. <laughs> Go find us some music. Also, how did you answer? Like, what? Wh how big is your soul? I think I said quite small when I did it. Yeah, tiny. Oh, uh, yeah, no, my soul is immense. I got that I could say with my intelligence check, I believe that the, the cubic content of my soul is obscured by the hangover. <laughs> <laughs> Checks like that as well play into your copo type. Ah, uh, yes. So, as well as having a political alignment in the game, which is based off like how often you answer something like a liberal or like a fascist, um, you've also got a copo type, which is whether you think you're a really good cop, or whether you think you're a really bad cop, or whether you're just a sensible and boring cop. I got sorry cop twice. <laughs> yeah, if you say things like um, your soul is tiny and if you apologize to people a lot, you become the sorry cop and that gives various passive bonuses. Yeah. Oh, um, question, because you guys did like more of the intellectual so skills. Uh, I failed the drama check when I first talked to Gart. He's not a bartender. He insists on that, but he's, yeah, but he's a bartender. And so the like the failed drama check just said, this guy's cool with you. <laughs> oh. Yeah, everything's smooth. You're you're good. Go go for it. Sometimes uh, a failed check is more profitable for the player character than yeah. a succeeded check. Sometimes it's better to forget. 
like the the bartender as well he tells you you owe me something like 150 real which is the currency in the game um for both the room and the damages and you can try to sneak out um by doing a check if you fail that check he waives the fee i think but if you succeed you still have to pay him later is that yeah, right yeah yes the other weird thing you can do is once you meet your partner and you come back and, and question him as part of the investigation, you can just threaten to arrest him and he'll bring the <laughs> fee down to 60. Or he can, yeah. or you can just get the fee down to 30 even if you just keep saying, no, I'm not paying for anything. You just file a you know claim for compensation with my office. I don't care. You're impeding my investigation. Any yes. word further word out of you, I'm placing you under arrest. Is that clear, citizen? Yeah, yeah, no, it's good. It's good. <laughs> I am the law. Yes. People get that you are the law. You really don't have to keep saying it. Yeah, so the authority stat just is basically Judge Dredd. Yes, yeah. but you will also probably run yourself headfirst into the fascist achievement, which mm -hmm. you can tell this game is written by leftists because a lot of these achievements for like fascists and liberals actively mock the player and way more so than the Kami achievement does. Yeah. The Kami achievement just mocks you for being hopeful. The other reason you can tell it was uh, written by Estonian leftists is because they use the word liberal correctly. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Oh, yeah. When reading, like, uh, forum comments and stuff about this game, like, there was a lot of Americans who said, it's like, why is ultra-liberal different than communist? I thought, like, communism was as liberal as you can get. Yes, and this game will call out those players for being dum-dums. Like, yes. I have seen Twitch streams, which are... Twitch streams for this game are wonderful to watch, folks, oh, at any God, point I... in the game. Because they, this game is a bit of a personality test, as well as a game. So... After dealing with kind of waking up and the barkeep, um, you're introduced to your partner for almost all of, if not the entire game, uh, which is Kim Kitsuragi. Hello, I'm Kim Kitsuragi, Lieutenant, Precinct 57. You must be from the 41st. Kim is how you know this game is really well written, because he is the by-the-book, straight-laced cop who just wants to get the case over with, and he, he's always chastising you for doing stupid shit, and also you love him. You don't yes. want to yeah. make Kim disappointed. Like, I, I get I get I, really invested. I love Kim. And he will take a bullet for you. He's awesome. He's got his own fucking personality quirks. Like, you can talk to him about his car. Like, you get further enough, you can talk about, like, oh, yeah, dude, like, once this is over, we should, like, go, like, rebuild that nice car you have. Like, I'd love to work on that. Yeah, like throughout the game, there was never a point where I thought, fuck, I wish Kim would, would leave. There was only sort of when Kim was happy with me, I was happy. Like, I felt like Kim was my friend. He is such a good character. Really? Then why didn't you load when you called him what you know you called him? I'm not sure if we can record that for this podcast. <laughs> I needed to see the conclusion of that failed check. Can we address that now, actually, failing checks? Because Yes, let's do that. So you can save at any point in the game as long as you're not in dialogue. I think you used to be able to save in dialogue as well. If you fail a check, it's a dice roll. So if you reload from just before you failed the check, you can redo it. Failing checks doesn't really, like end progress in a section but sometimes you'll have to level up to re-unlock the check and then do it again but like on my second playthrough especially i was like fuck it i'm safe scumming this check because i just want to see what happens and it's weird because if you want to play the game properly you're going to fail a lot of checks and that can be quite frustrating in places i don't know how you guys feel about it 
it can be. I think they really did go out of their way to to try and emphasize. Oh no, hey, there's there is a bunch of content behind these failed checks. Like there is there actually is like a bunch of interesting stuff and it and in a lot of cases it does move the plot forward. It is hard to like unlearn that kind of, you know, gamer sort of thing of like it's like, no, well I wanna do it right. Like I wanna Yeah. <laughs> I wanna get the I wanna get this done correctly. But like especially for, for just how funny it can be, even if you are gonna save scum, it's worth reading the the failure oh, dialogue. Yeah. Yes. And sometimes, I mean, uh, most of the time, there's a second solution to a problem or even a third solution to a problem. So if you fail a check, you can just go talk to people and sort of figure it out again, even if it's a check that you can retry later, because some checks are retriable, some aren't. Yeah. If it's one you can retry later, talking to people around the area might actually make that check easier and unlock it for you again. So yes, mm -hmm. you can get clues and like uh, side quests will give you bits of information or will also give you bonuses to some of these checks. Yes. And when you get that bonus, the check also unlocks again. Yeah. So there's there you can prop like I have seen streams where one guy has spent like 10 attempts to knock out Measurehead and he still failed. <laughs> Throughout the whole game, he tried it 10 times. Every single time the check unlocked, he went back and he tried it. Every single time he put a point in it, he went back and tried it and he failed. I went physical. I fucking kicked the shit out of that dude. Yeah, my second playthrough I did. <laughs> this was a tremendously useful interlude. We were talking about Kim, weren't we? Yes. Kim's just a really good character. Uh, you can talk to Kim to get some idea of what the case is you're doing and um, like a little bit about who you are, who he is, who you both work for. But on my first playthrough, I tried my best to appear like I didn't sort of have amnesia to yes. people I was talking to. You have that option of just trying to fake it the entire time and act like you know what you're doing. Although it doesn't really work. No. And Kim Kim sees through you because you're such a weirdo. But he doesn't judge, really. Yeah, I, li I like Kim. He, he really tries to see the best in people. I think that's, that's why he doesn't work. He calls you out when you do, like, bad things or unprofessional stuff, but he doesn't judge you for being an addict or... Yeah, fucked up or anything like that. You can tell he disapproves. He also doesn't really stop you from being a fascist and a racist if you choose to be those things. It's true, he is very, very tolerant. This is where you see his political ideology in action because Kim, later on you will find this in, out in the game, he is a moralist. Moralism in this universe is basically centrism. Yeah, It is the status quo. It is the moral international alliance of various old world nations that run the world yeah the moralist credo is explained to you i believe when you put on a certain pair of shoes and it basically it goes it's like history is filled with people who've tried to make the world better too quickly oh wow how can i attain this level of, of certitude incrementally <laughs> I don't think this is explained to you for by for putting on shoes. You can you can put on shoes. There's also a pair of trousers. Anything that gives you plus the kingdom of conscience, your brain will instantly go, "Whoa, buddy, getting a little too mild, huh? What what were the, what were the opinions too spicy? You got to go back to this." Yeah, I think if there's one actual just just briefly going back to the political ideologies, if there's one thing this game shits on the absolute hardest, it's centrists. Yes. The game just basically calls you boring. If it calls, you well, it calls it. you boring, or it says like, "Oh, bleh, I always pick the fourth option." 
because as well, you're in a video game and still you're deciding not to pick sides. It's, a, it's, it's cowardly on cowardice. So the body is still in the tree. You find out from Kim or from someone you talk to. It doesn't have to be Kim, but uh, you're here to investigate a murder and the body is still hung up in a tree outside of the place that you're staying. So you go on to investigate that. He was lynched by a gang of tough guys from the local labor union. Uh, they hung him from the tree and left him for dead. He's been hanging there for a week. You got here three days ago, but you were too busy getting drunk to do anything about it. And by the time you get there, the body's decomposing. It's really disgustingly described, very neo-noir. Um, and a kid is there throwing rocks at it. Fuck this Kuno kid! Fucking Kuno! Kuno doesn't fucking care! Oh god, like... I don't think I've ever been more happy to be gay and not have children than Kuno. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I'm like, Jesus, man. Like, I... I was, yeah, I, I went physical on my first playthrough. I fucking punched him. Oh, yeah, I punched him. I punched him on both my you playthroughs. Can't beat As someone that has played the game like four times, I have to say, you have to talk to him a lot of the times. And yeah. it is annoying. It like after the first time, it's interesting. It's funny. It's like, oh, let's, let's see what's up with this kid. But after you figure it out the first time, that's it. Like, you figured it out. There's not much else this character's going to give you. I, I think that's good character writing, though. Kuno is supposed to be annoying, and he's supposed to piss you off to the point where you you want to punch him in the face, and the game gives you the option to punch him in the face. I actually really like Kuno as a character, not because I want to be around him in real life or anything, but just because he made me feel so annoyed that, like, you know, if he was just that little bit annoying, it'd be like, eh, you know, it's that annoying kid. But no, he's so annoying, he's a sticking point in my brain. Yeah, you know, actually, that is that is true. Like, like I can think of basically no other character that's that that is genuinely as as annoying. Like, he really does stick out in that sense. Like, like there, there are characters who are who are in like numerous games that are presented as like, oh, they're supposed to be the irritating one or the quirky one, uh, and they never really like stick around. Like, like they they may have some eccentricity, uh, and then later they're they're redeemed by oh, they had like a traumatic past or like something like that. Well, Kuno does. Well, well, so I failed that empathy check because <laughs> I'm fucking beast mode. Uh, so I, I actually, this is something I was genuinely curious about. What is Kuno's deal besides he's like a little druggy shithead? Yeah, it's, the long story short is, uh, his dad's not in a good spot. Yeah. Uh, his, his home situation is fucked. Um, he's also taking care of his sister, which is the other most annoying character, Kuno S. Right in the dick, Kuno! Get him right in the dick! Well, she's, she's not really his sister. She's adopted. He found her in the hallway. Adopted, but still a sister. If you were to talk to Kuno, if he was here right now, he'd punch you for that. You know that. Yeah, true. Kuno is, uh, is a very troubled youth, but you do see potential in him. You do, like, after, if, you, if you do the empathy checks and you have Inland Empire very high, you do, like, and you have Esprit de Corps, it will tell you, like, this guy might make a good cop. One day, yeah, he's a shithead, but he's not an idiot. Yeah, yeah, well, and he and he does have that 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 creative spark with him, with with Night City and like kind of this internal world. Yeah, yes. 
you can sort of take some tasks from him to go check out his apartment where you find that his dad is just a he's drugged off his head and he just sleeps all day nobody's paid the bills in about like three years and you kind of get to realize that kuno kind of talks big to stop other people from hurting him really i guess yes the way the whiplash between the way kuno described his dad and the way his actual dad is is great because he's like my dad is the most violent man in revachel he will fucking kick your ass play, pray you never see him and then you see him he's just fucking smacked out on his bed under a pile of smelly covers literally on death's door what I like about the writing of Kuno is that there's no good way to deal with him. Yeah. You have to deal with him, but you can't fix him. You can't fucking get him out of his broken home. Well, you can. You can slap, you can slap him in the face, but that's not gonna... I mean, he respects you, but that doesn't fix anything in his life. Yeah. You can help him a lot, actually. Oh, you can. But it requires... It requires Kim to die. We'll, yeah, we'll get onto that at the towards the end of the game, I think. We can leave that for a bit later. Let's explore the crime scene some more. Let's examine the body, I guess. Yeah. Let's go for the body. Yeah. The body hangs in this tree, and you're like, you first the first time you approach it, you will throw up unless you're very physically talented, like I didn't Mike was. Throw up. I went beast yeah. <laughs> Wow. The thing is, the thing is that that little segment, uh, it gives you a pretty hard check straight off the get go because it's it's a tutorial segment that's teaching you that these checks can unlock multiple times. Yes. Uh, Kim, Kim can handle the smell. I think you normally would be able to do to as well, but since you're so hungover, your dude will throw up very easily. Um, I got discouraged from this. I actually decided to come back and like, just, well, I'll, I'll come back when I have more endurance to pass this. I didn't get that this was supposed to teach me to retry checks a bunch. So I didn't get the body down until day two. Yeah, I think on my second playthrough, I didn't get it down until day two as well for other more meta reasons, but, um, after you fail the check twice, if you do, because like you get given an item that's supposed to help you succeed the check, but you still are probably going to fail it, um, you get a thought. Thoughts are like perks, I guess. Um, they take a few in-game hours to eventually activate, and you get bonuses and detriments both while you are uh, researching the thoughts as well as when they unlock and the first one you get is volumetric shit compressor um, which re-unlocks this check and also gives you a massive bonus to doing this check because you've managed to pull yourself together from like the hangover yeah the volumetric shit compressor you get your shit together you gain thoughts for various things such as your political alignment and your copo type and just various thoughts from researching things in the world side quests give you them clothing gives you them stuff like that and yeah. they all have various benefits both to skills and to other weird passive stuff like some will just give you experience or money for passing checks what i thought was interesting uh is is kind of that they give you a choice twice so, like, whenever you're about to sort of obtain a thought, you get, like, a, this short sort of dialogue thing that, like, kind of lays out this question of, like, oh, where do you live? Or, man, you really need to get your shit together. Or, like, why did Krasmazov kill himself? Um, or what the fuck is the womp de dom de dom center? <laughs> exactly, exactly. But, like, the thing is, like when you when you, you know, go through that and sort of decide whether or not you want the thought, you then just have the thought in your thought inventory, in your cabinet. You don't actually internalize it yet. 
I guarantee you they probably debated about like, well, maybe it should just be forced on you during the dialogue instead of like, oh, it just gives you the thought and you you choose whether or not to take like the bonuses or have it, you know, instilled in you. I think this was part of the many, many rewrites they did because I, I believe what you're saying here, but I also think that eventually they decided on what they what we have now because most of the thoughts are beneficial in some way. Like they will all give various penalties as trade-offs as well, but overall most of them are just too good to pass up. Yeah, yeah. like the bonuses they give are just way better than the penalties. Yeah, well, and yeah. especially especially thoughts related to like skills that you're lacking in. Yeah. Yeah. That like raise that raise the caps on them, so you can actually invest in them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you can only say you've got three points in your motorics when you start the game. You can only put three uh, like levels into it before you have to either start taking drugs or unlock a, a thought that increases the learning cap for that. So that's one thing thoughts are really useful for. Yeah. Anyway, back to the body. It's a matter of getting it down once you've inspected it. Yeah, there's ah, yes. there's also the footprints at the crime scene. So if you have good uh, visual calculus, which is like your ballistics sort of like I can tell where the bullet fragments are sort of cop thing. I don't know how to describe it really. It's like on detective shows when yes. like they go hyper focused and just see the crime happen. It is or, a like, Sherlock. See. It is Sherlock vision. And I, I love the visuals for it, too, because it, like, lays out, like, these, these like, nice, like, kind of cool scribbled charts over the screen to, like, you know, like, show sort of the, the anatomy of what happened. Yeah. Yes. In the making of, and if the uh, GDC dev talks, the devs will say that that is the highest production value element of the game was visual calculus. It looks really good. It, it is very good looking, and it's very much like... Like Sherlock Vision, only like better because you're not just you're not just shuffling words like liberté, fraternité, and then coming up with a dumb conclusion for the end of the episode. Yeah. But it, it'll highlight these footprints for you and tell you like the basically the weight and the shoe size of everyone who was at this crime scene, um, who like got the body up into the tree. Uh and there's some things that like are a bit weird about it like one of them's got a really worn shoe and one of them looks really really heavy like 200 kilograms so you and kim both say well maybe that person was carrying the body um but if you fail this check uh if you fail it really badly then you fail to even count how many footprints there were and i died at this point in the game because my morale was so low but if you fail it you've got to come up with another way to work out who was at this crime scene and then you can come back later and match the people you found were at the crime scene to the footprints uh so on my first playthrough i looked at the footprints first and was like okay i know who i'm looking for on my second playthrough i found the people and then i looked at the footprints and was like yep that confirms they were here yes the amount of event flags in this game is fucking mind-boggling this must have been a nightmare to test oh yeah yeah they said that this game went through like thousands of rewrites just to make sure everything was like clicking and all the flags weren't like completely messed up so getting the body down from the tree there's a few ways yes shoot it down is the almost obvious yeah Mm -hmm. but you've got to pass quite a difficult check to shoot it down yeah and also the the kids will will like try to distract you and yell at you while you try to aim 
Yeah, yes. Kuno's sister, Kuno S, shouts at you and you can shoot her at this point in the game if you pass a really, really difficult hand-eye coordination check and that gets you a special game over state. Even if you just aim at her and then uh, pull your gun away, both Kuno and Kim will give you a immense amount of shit for putting a gun at a kid. Yes, yes. Next time you point that shit at me, you better take the shot. So you can either shoot the body down here or you can go run errands for some other characters to get their, like, laborers to come and help you get the body down from the tree. Yeah, um, which brings us kind of to the next segment of this where we have to go talk to the union dudes. Well, I was going to say, like, when you get the body down, though, I had never done the talk to the union guys to help get it down. Oh, I had to both times. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Uh, once again, once again, physical character. <laughs> yeah. On my first playthrough, I failed the 87% uh, uh, check oh, on shooting harsh. it down. That's the worst. And I was forced to, yeah, do chores for Everard. But considering I'm already a socialist in real life, I was more than happy to help out the union boss. Yeah, on my second playthrough, I had already helped out the union boss. So by the point where I did a really weird order of events on my second playthrough, by the time I wanted to get the body down from the tree, he was already my friend and would help me to get the body down anyway. One last thing about the body. There's one thing you can also do to get it down. It's kind of a failure, but you can do it. You can rip it down like the what the union boys would have done, only less subtle. And what will happen is um, you will rip the guy's head off. Oh, shit. The whole body will fall down and the head will still be hanging there. Yeah, the, the game warns you that this is going to happen if you start to pull on the body. Like Kim will say, I don't think you should do that. And you can do it anyway. Mm -hmm. I haven't seen it happen, but what? How does that affect the um, the like autopsy and things? Oh, because you cannot inspect the head, you will miss out on a very important clue. Yes. Oh wow. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it will actually have really big consequences for the investigation. And there's also other things you can do, like if you if you pull it down, but you realize there's still stuff in the autopsy you haven't discovered yet because this checks. You can do, but you failed, but you can retry them later. You can actually stuff the body in a fridge you find later to preserve it and, like, recheck it over and over again. On my second playthrough, I never sent the body away from, like, the, the area, so I just left it in the fridge the entire game. Yeah, but even if you fail the check and you send away the body, there will be a cutscene where the coroner at the police station will find the bullet for you oh. and give you the info in a radio call. Oh wow, okay. Yeah, so yeah. there's like there's a lot of different failed uh, backups for how you can recover from a failure. Like there's an immense amount of those. Yeah, I think well one of the things I think that like all the rewrites did did really go over is like like w they didn't create failure failure states, but they still wanted to make the successes feel like successes. Mm. Yeah. So is there any state in which you don't find out about the bullet in the head of the hanged man? Yes, it's when you rip it down yourself because then the head's still hanging there and okay. you have to send off the rest of the body. And it's like, well, okay. <laughs> How does that impact the rest of the game then? Because it's such a key component. You get massive penalties later on when you're trying to solve, when you're trying to pinpoint the suspects. Yeah. Because it's like, because you don't know the guy's been shot. And that's a big thing. Yeah, you assume he's hanged from the start. That completely tanks anything most of these suspects will talk to you. Yeah. So you know most of these guys don't know how he died. Yeah, because you, you suspect basically that there's been a cover-up for the fact he was shot with the hanging um, by the end of the game. 
that's kind of what you find out. If you're really highly skilled, like, because I've also done a playthrough where I just cheat engine the initial one and I put all my stats to 666 just to see what would happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're really skilled, the guy will just go, yeah, yeah, no, no, no we're, we're being fooled with. Someone's trying to pull the wool over our eyes. We should be on our toes, uh, Kim. And then Kim's like, this guy's really good. Holy shit. I think I got that on one of my playthroughs, actually. I remember something like that coming up. Yeah, he'll give you a high five. And uh, you can if you if you get an even bigger like intellect check where you realize that it's like a double high five with a with a low five following up. Yeah, yeah. you get a big bonus with Kim's uh, relationship. <laughs> and the way it's written as well is it's just it's lovely. It's such a buddy cop little line where it's like relax, it'll connect. Like don't worry, this guy won't let you hang in. Yeah, and it's 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 like man, I, I like I like this. I like these two. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, you like you high five and then turn around and just hold your hand out and hope <laughs> hope that he will slap it. Yeah. I never got that. That's cute. Yeah, it's really good. That that's one of the moments that's like I like Kim. He plays along sometimes and it's fun. And when Kim is when you're when you're really buddies with Kim, like when you're also like uh because we're about to get to the Kim's car bit. When you're into when you get to Kim's car and you really praise the car, you're going like Mm, what's this baby got in it? Mm. Oh yeah. Oh, it's a lovely engine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, have you ever thought about replacing those headlights with helium? And he's like, Yeah, actually, I've got a pair at home. Uh, um, after this is done, I'm probably going to hook those up. And he's like, Well, but mind if we do that together after this is done? It's a very good line that really builds rapport with this fictional character that you don't even hear speak most of the time. Yeah, he's a total. He's a total car guy. I think so. RCM officers. They're not really a state police force they're a militia do they drive their own cars because kim does clearly uh they are police cars they are still like they are part of the vehicular budget of the stations that they're a part of of the precincts but he's clearly put some money towards getting his car i think yeah and he's also customizing it also he specifically has a a vehicle that is specifically designed for pursuits because he is a car guy yeah (laughs) yeah you can you can suggest to him putting some like off-road wheels on it and stuff and he's like no gotta pimp it up (laughs) it's not designed for that well i appreciate the interest you take in my brutal motor carriage i have to stop you right there Uh, yeah you'll you'll probably be checking out kim's car early in the game one because it's got useful tools two because you'll be advised to call your station and get the lowdown and also report your badge and gun missing which actually doesn't help you it's just kim wants you to (laughs) Yeah, but it's following the rules, and you don't want to disappoint Kim, and so I get it. But, like, they they fucking mock you. <laughs> and the entire station mocks you. Yeah. Yes. This was in my notes specifically. Like, the big thing I got from this was, um, did any of you guys ever see The Fugitive? Oh, with Harrison Ford, right? With Harrison Ford? No, I haven't. No, no sorry. Like, a lot of just the cop, like, banter on the other side of the phone where they're all just kind of, like, laughing at you is very much like when people call into the U.S. Marshals station in The Fugitive. It's just like a chorus of of, of people, like, chiming in on this this one phone call. Also, this is uh, one of the first very explicit references to the sort of weird Twitter subculture that the game, you know, was... part at least paying homage to uh because they call you dick mullen what's dick mullen so dick mullen is a clear reference to the uh comedian from the come town podcast nick mullen come town podcast i mean maybe one of the chapo trap house guys is uh titus hardy right Four of the Chapo Trap House guys are, oh, are yes. in the game. Uh, Virgil Texas is the smoking man. Will Meneker is the, uh, the shopkeeper. 
Will Menninger is many guys. <laughs> Felix Biederman is the strike breaker mercenary. And a bum. In terms of the voice acting, there's just enough in the game that you can get a feel for like what a character would sound like and there's not too much that you you like that basically characters when you're first introduced to them will have a paragraph or so of dialogue which is fully voiced and then the rest is mostly just text unless there's very kind of important scenes going on yeah which is really good you are given just enough that you can read the rest in their voice yeah i don't know if you guys are like me where like in when there's a game where every single line is spoken, like, I will just finish reading it and skip. Yes, I do that, yeah. Oh, yeah, I've talked about this, like, with specs and probably on the podcast before, too. I think games have far too much voice acting, especially role-playing games. Definitely. Because it's a, it takes up a lot of budget. If you have a, like, if you have a story, have a game with a lot of text, it's going to take a shit ton of budget to voice act it all. So what most studios do is keep full voice acting, but scale back the text. And just have people talk less and have less information to give you. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I love Mass Effect, but, like, most of the world building in Mass Effect is in this huge fucking data log that you just have to sit around and read. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's much better when it's told to you by characters, like in this. Yeah. It's fair to have demands of players. It's like, no, pay attention, read this, like, you're going to get more out of it if you're building this story up in your head. Yeah. As opposed to having literally everything just explicitly spoken to you which players oftentimes don't even pay attention to anyway yes and, and to, to further on that point i've been watching a lot of twitch streams for this game because i've been very interested to see how other people have been playing it and especially how many gamers get called fascists at the end of it and uh, quite a surprising number actually or or an unsurprising number depending on how you feel <laughs> yeah depending on how you feel about gamers but yeah i did on my first playthrough but my first playthrough i was i was a fascist i was a centrist i was uh i was a communist like i was everything under the sun on my first playthrough so at the at very end of the game the game will tell you what you were doing most it told me everything it picked like at least four things and was like yeah you did everything okay so you were very uh, middle of the road and all of them. I was all over the place, yeah. The other thing you can do from Kim's car is you can talk to a waitress who used to work at the uh, Whirling in Rags, which is where you're staying, um, until yesterday when you upset her so much that she quit her job. But if you fail a check with her, you can unlock a weird side quest to, like, explore her love life. Yeah. Oh, yes, you you can. But it usually, I think both times it will result in you setting her up with a date with Gart. It's a it's a terrible idea, but you can do it. Yeah, yeah. Gart, the bartender, uh, he won't let you call him a bartender. He's a cafeteria manager. He's her boss, and he hit on her, which is pretty inappropriate. But. I failed this entire side quest, so the outcome of this side quest for me was telling Gart to forget about it and telling him that she rides the dick carousel now. <laughs> Yeah, I mean that's that's classic like Return of Kings like red pill shit. I I, I made Specs do this not knowing what he was gonna say. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's just... It was quite funny. Um, um, On the achievement things, just because I was curious about this, in order from lowest to highest in terms of the, like, Steam achievement stats for this game's, for the political ideologies, truly rabid traditionalists, only 7.4% of players, baddest hustler in the neoliberal hood, 15.1%. The world's most laughable centrist, twenty one point eight percent of players, <laughs> and with twenty three point nine percent, and the biggest, the biggest share by far, the biggest communism builder. Not surprising. 
to refocus though, because we did want to talk about the union guys yes, and yes, then yes. the and then the autopsy. So, so if you didn't manage to shoot the body down, your only option is to go ask the union dudes for help. There's a strike going on. There, are, there's a giant mob of scabs trying to get into the factory to work. None of them can because a giant racist is guarding the gate. <laughs> and he is both giant in stature and a complete racist. That's a yes. literal giant yes. racist covered yes. in phrenology tattoos. Your life and the life of your race revolve around Al-Hul. He is racist, but, but it's one of the very few instances where you'll find this niche form of racism, which is basically black supremacy. Yeah. It's very niche. It exists in the real world. Nobody cares about it in the real world, but I love that they put it into the game as like this contrast for the union. Yeah, because it's like like someone explicitly ascribing to an ideology that holds them in contempt. Like it's not even necessarily black supremacy. Like he talks about like haplo groups, and he's just it's like yes, I I I'm I'm in what was formerly considered one of the lower uh, haplo groups, but actually your haplo group is now degenerated by Al Ghul. Yeah, yeah. It, it, he tries to make the argument for why actually his race is better now. Look at my craniology. I am the pinnacle of my haplo group. It is like that black supremacy because that also comes from this from this position of powerlessness. He's like this super kind of intellectual racist. There's a lot of stuff where the game just wall of texts you, and I didn't pay too much attention to this, but if you want to read into it, he's got like five paragraphs before any time you have a dialogue check with him where he tells you about various races and like a hierarchy of races that he has come up with for like why they're better and why they're worse and stuff, and it's, it's just too much. And then you can punch him in the face. Even if you do uh, subscribe to his racial theories, though, usually, like on my first playthrough, the moment I got past it, I instantly spend a point to forget the internalized racism. Because I was like, no, 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 I know these thoughts work. This guy's, th this thought alone is going to give me lots of racist dialogue options. I internalized his racism to try and then, like, get past him. Because uh, that's one one way you can get past him to get to the union boss is to internalize uh, his racism and then, like, debate with him about it. Um, I kept it on for the whole game, I think, and it did have consequences later on in my first playthrough. I first figured out the secret way to get up past him just through the through the actual yard where the body is hanging and then went back and, you know, physical skills just kicked the shit out of him because, you know, fuck him. It's really funny when you confront him in a physical manner because you punch him in the face and then he just like he just shrugs it off. He doesn't really shrug it off. He's reeling, but he's not down. You can punch him again or do a spinning back kick, and punch him again seems like the obvious option, but he's just like, no. So then you do the spinning back kick on him, and it absolutely destroys him. Yeah, if you like punch him again, it's very much a Dragon Ball Z moment where he goes into Ultra Instinct. He just grabs your fist and says, uh-oh. Uh-oh. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. no. <laughs> it's quite, it's a good scene. He, like, picks you up by the head, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. It's very good. It's like, ah, oh, you puny human. Yeah. You dare to defy me. Now you feel pain. Something else interesting about Measurehead and later, you know, uh, Ebert, this actually is like one of the game's uh, sort of snide looks at different like social institutions and, and like a snide remark at the left, like kind of pointing out that 
like oh yeah no there's there's tons of people who are within unions who are like complete reactionaries yeah and uh, like a lot of these institutions while they have like like these very noble intentions are incredibly ossified and corrupt that they're not genuinely serving sort of the social function that they they claim to be yes and no like you can you can tell in 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 like that with Evra Claire later on that they don't really have much choice in the matter either. It's true, yeah. Revachol is 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 full on just like fucking occupied. Yeah, it's like it's it's very much just these people are just trying to carve out a little bit of existence out of this hellscape that they live in. And they don't really have much choice but work together in that manner. And it's very clear in like the power dynamic that Evrard Claire, who is white, fat, and corrupt on the surface. Like, if you go deeper, you'll find out he's more of a crook that just works for the working man. Yeah. Which is, you know, kind of what you want, in a way. But he's also there for himself, so it's, it's, there's some nuance there, which I like. Mr. Dubois, every worker, member of the board, how can I help you today? The union boss, Everett Claire, is very much trying to push the agenda for the union to be, like, for the people, by the people. He wants every worker to be a member of the board. Uh, so they're in this big dispute with the, um, what are they called? The Wild, Wild Pines, Pines. Yes. Trading Company? Shipping. Shipping, sorry. Uh, you, you can talk to their representative as well, and basically this whole chain of side quests is you playing them off against each other, or them playing you off against each other really uh spoilers Evrart is just basically using you to uh, get messages to joyce without joyce getting messages to Evrart. it's a one-sided dialogue yeah that Evrart wants because he doesn't he's not interested in he's not interested in anything later on in the game what he wants is war he wants class war he wants this he wants this thing over and done with but he's also like done with this post-war limbo that Revachol and, and, and Martinez in general lives in and he wants to go forward no matter what so we haven't met Joyce yet but I I, I love her description of Evar that she suspects a f thick black ichor courses through his veins instead of blood <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's fantastically corrupt. He also, like, he adapts his strategy when talking to you to, like, the way you talk to him. So if you talk to him like a fascist, then he will kind of pretend he's got a fascist ideology to go along with you just to get you to do what he wants. To hell with it. Every worker is white. Now, what can I do for you today? But if you, like, say to him, no, I'm a communist too, then he sort of kind of reveals his true intentions to you a bit more. He's pretty open. Oh, you're a fe you're a fellow man of the left. Let's talk business. Yeah, you know, like yeah. he's very slimy. One of the other interesting things about Ebert is he also reveals your name. Like he he is very savvy. Uh, like like kind of recognizes that you're sort of out of sorts and will like pick up on not fully that you have like amnesia unless you outright tell him, but will will kind of get he he'll just drop your name in there. And it's such a crucial piece of information that it's like, eh, I gotta trust this guy. And he's constantly teasing that he has more. Like, he has this folder that he tries to make you think has a bunch of shit on you, but it's actually nothing. He pretends that he has your gun. He's just trying to, like, just waving the stuff in front of your face, trying to get you to do stuff for him. That is the way you get your gun back. So he he has information about your gun, and you need to 
Well, you don't need to, but it's the easiest way to get your gun back is to cooperate with him. So he gives you the information about how to get to it. But in terms of your name, you can deny that your name is Harry Dubois throughout the entire game. Um, there's a very early check you can get when talking to Kim uh, that's a conceptualization check to come up with a new name. If you fail it, you come up with a ridiculous name, which is... Raphael Ambrosius Cousteau. Oh, Thank you very much. I don't know what name you get if you succeed the check. You just get a clue towards your real name. Oh, okay. Okay. Like, and, and it basically tells you it's not the time yet, but it will come to you eventually. But on my second playthrough, I played through the entire game denying I was Harry and uh, saying I was Raphael Cousteau to people, and you get like a thought about that and you get perks from it. Oh, cool. Oh, uh, also, if you win the conceptualization check, you also get a hint as to what happened like in the run-up before you lost your memory. Oh, okay. Because that's that, there's also clues sprinkled throughout the game as to what happened there. Like, and you can piece together your own theory based on that. And I've got my yeah. own idea, which I'll share later at the conclusion. So Everard basically tells you that if you want his help to get the body down from the tree, then you have to go open a door for him. And that is literally what you have to do. You just go open the door of uh, a character who you meet later in the game. Why does he want you to open the door? I didn't really get this. Anyone know why? Yes. The guy whose door you're opening, if you... Because uh, you can choose to just go inside and ignore whatever it said. He has a... There's a collection of racist mugs there. Yes, he's clearly a racist. A nationalist, conservative nationalist clearly lives there. And in basically what is just the union space. In the game, they don't really mess with him. They just open the door as a way of like going, we know where you are. We can get you at any time. Yeah. Don't go down this road. You will make enemies. So they're just trying to scare him off the premises so that yeah, they yeah. can make room for more more communists to move in, essentially. By the way, something with the racist mug, because like you can find it in the in the dumpster. You can find uh, one of the racist mugs in the dumpster and you can show it to the level one racist, uh, not not Measurehead, who's like the level 99 racist, and like get like a laugh out of it. You can show that racist mug to a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> it reminded me of if you've ever played Icewind Dale 2 they have this sort of snide little quest where in a barrel you can find a dead cat and eventually like in the town you'll find just this guy who who like talked about like yeah I used to work in this warehouse uh, and it's like yeah there was like this cat there and you can just pull out the dead cat you mean this cat it's trying to to kind of highlight that it's like not every MacGuffin is going to be important but it is. Everything is connected to the kit. It, it is. You can use it to give you a bonus to basically shaking down the owner of the mug later on uh, for some items. Gary. Ga Gary the crypto fascist. Like the game spells it out for you straight from the get-go. There's no, there's no puzzling it out. It's just Gary the crypto fascist is the name in his dialogue. Is there another thing that Everett wants you to do in order to get your gun as well, or do you just open the door? Yes. Sign people up for the youth center. Ah, uh, yes. And it's uh, it's the quest where you displace people, but it's like it's a bit questionable because when if you go there as well and you walk down that coastline, you'll find at the start you'll find a whole bunch of buildings that are just empty, and it's like oh these used to be like vacation buildings and this is now a black block. Yeah. And you go further up the coast and there's like all these people living in hovels and like basically shacks. And it is like said, if you like question Everard, if you do just do what he asks of you, he, he will just say, yeah, no, those stubborn assholes will finally get an uptick in their life quality. I've been trying to get them out of that place for years. They're that stubborn. 
holy shit, you've no idea what I'm dealing with here. Yeah, his plan is basically to make it a hellhole to live in for like a year until they decide to vacate the premises and then he will start to develop the area and then they can move back if they want to. And in the meantime, they will just get better houses. And it's and, yeah. and I do believe him at that because it's like everyone else in this whole union block is being taken care of by the union. Pretty solid with pretty good unity there. There is some snide contempt for the unions, but it's also like like it's nuanced. Like it's saying there are some problems with unions, but they're also good. This union, though, like this guy is not only corrupt, he's trying to use his power as a union boss to start up a drug running operation. Well, yeah, but that's pretty much already the case in the whole of Martinez. Like you, you will get hints that there's already drug barons that he will be pissing off by doing this. Yeah. And as well, like, as someone of the left will know, like, you won't stop drugs by trying to go to war with them. It's better to just legalize them and have them controlled so that you know where they are, you know, what's being used. And, you know, you know, you know how to deal with it much better at that point than if you would just, you know, send the Hardy Boys after every addict. So Joyce, the like Wild Pines rep, uh, gives you a quest to find out who is smuggling drugs into um, Martinez, and she suspects the union's involved. Is there any way to pin anything on Everard? Can you get him to sweat enough that he will admit to anything? Or No. I didn't think so. He's not the kind of guy to admit to anything. He will sidestep and bullshit forever, even when it's obvious yeah. he's guilty. Yeah. And, and, and like... Kim will say there will be an independent investigation into the union because of the clues you discovered. Hmm. And that's maybe something that will like tie into the next game. Because this, this whole game does feel like the first chapter of a bigger D&D campaign. God, I hope so. I want a sequel just to fix Kim's cars together. <laughs> well, the guy said he did want to make an expansion. And hopefully if it's inspired by, you know, like a lot of the Infinity Engine games, it'll be an actual expansion. Yeah. Not an enhanced edition. Not to shit on enhanced editions, but, you know. Robert Kurvitz is the dude. I read an interview with him that said he wanted to use this engine and this uh, kind of storytelling method to uh, make a game where you play as a pregnant woman and have the like voices described to you what it feels to have another being growing inside you. Weird. But uh, he decided against it because it wouldn't sell, and I think he's probably right about that. Yeah. Even though I'd play it. If Kojima made that game, it would sell. Yeah. So you get the body down, essentially, like, no matter how you get it down, you get the body down, and if you do well enough at your checks, you find out there was a bullet in the body's head, it wasn't killed by hanging. Yeah, this this whole bit is just so grossly described, um, but yeah, you, ha you have to really reach into the dude's throat and find a, a bullet lodged in the in the back of it. Yeah. That's the secret reveal. You go all the way into the brain yeah. to find the, a, a shard of the bullet as well. You can also, if you've got a high enough Inland Empire stat, uh, you can talk to the dead man. Yep. And you can ask him questions like, uh, who were you? Where are you? And it's it's all very vague answers. Like, he just tells you he's gone. And that communism killed him. Yeah, that's the specific bit. He tells you communism killed him. He says that communism killed him and that love did him in. But the love did him in bit is, only, is very easy to miss because you need to do a very specific set of dialogue options. Uh, I didn't spot that at first, yeah. That, that can be really misleading as well. It is misleading, and the game also like acknowledges it, because later on you'll go like, so which one was it? And it's like, no, 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 no. You need to read. Love did him in, but communism killed him. These are two different things. 
The dude, by the way, like big buff guy, uh, like ex-soldier, covered in scars, covered in tattoos. He was one of the mercenaries that Wild Pines, Joyce's people, hired to come help out with like the union strike, essentially. Help out, basically. They were to organize strike breakers. Yeah. The Wild Pines rep will say later on that she didn't want them there, but they got sent along anyway. Probably because they just didn't trust the union and they had already had plans from the get-go to uh, muscle them down instead of uh, negotiate. The previous Wild Pines rep was killed, was murdered, right? Oh, he was sent away. He got told to fuck off. What about the woman? There was another woman, right? Oh no, that was the previous union rep. Okay. She was killed. Because she was basically a bourgeois henchman. When do you find out in the game, like, why she was killed? Because I don't remember this. At the very end. Okay, right. right. So at the very end, uh, the guy, the killer, will tell you that there were multiple things he did. I must have missed that then, yeah. They will talk about how it's his form of materialist critique, if you will. Mm, yeah. That he just takes out people he just doesn't like. Regarding the mercenaries, um, if you ask Everard about this, he'll tell you he wasn't involved in the killing, but he's very happy that the dude's gone. He hates him. And I love, I love the quote he gives you about this. Like, I love what he says about this. Everard says, uh, the company made a huge mistake hiring those guys. No one likes foreign mercenaries. The communists hate them, the fascists hate them, even the centrists think they're in poor taste. something i wanted to mention about the autopsy before we move completely Mm -hmm. on about it is uh there's a very specific thing that kim mentions which is relating to the hyoid bone which also ties into the jeffrey epstein case because they had noted that that bone was broken in his alleged suicide but that uh, you know it it rarely is something that occurs in in suicides and is most often associated with someone actually hanging someone. Oh, okay. Yeah, and I had to look this up to see if like it's like they weren't just like a autopsy enthusiasts or like had done some research. And it's like, oh yeah, no, the game came out in October. Jeffrey Epstein died in August of uh, that year. I didn't really pick up on that. I didn't either. Anything else? Much? Oh, the boots as well. So the body is wearing a set of like basically future armor boots. Uh, they're made out of some special ceramic, and you get this thought that hey, I really want to get these boots. And there's certain activities you can do behind Kim's back when he goes to sleep at night, such as getting the boots off to steal them. And it's quite a difficult sort of thing to do. I missed it on my first playthrough, and I thought I'd missed it on my second playthrough, but somehow managed to do it in the end. You basically rip the bottom of this guy's legs off, like his feet come with the boots, and then you have to find a way to boil the the flesh out of the boots to be able to wear them. Well, I, I didn't get the I didn't get that the feet got ripped off because I uh, you can twist and turn them if he's on the ground after you take down the body from uh, the hanging. He was in the fridge when I got them off. Uh, that might have something to do with it, like further decomposition or something. Yeah. But anyway, um, what will happen is you will just twist and turn them off. Kim has to be away. But there's a very specific set of uh, options you have to pick while the body is still hanging. So you can get the task, so you can even get the dialogue option to like take the boots off when the body is down. Yeah. If you don't get the task, you don't get the dialogue option. You need to talk to Kuno about the armor and then Manana about the armor as well. Otherwise, it won't let you take the boots off him. I believe it's Manana, right? Oh, sorry. Manana, yeah. 
Hola, tequila sunset. He's got one of those piñata ends, doesn't he? No, it's, for, it's Spanish for tomorrow. Oh, okay. You don't have to talk to Manana for the boots. If you pick a very specific set of options while he's still, while the body's still hanging in the tree, it will also give you the task to get the boots. Oh, but okay. It has to be a very specific one. One where you go, hmm, okay, I'm definitely getting those boots, but I'm not telling Kim. Yeah. Because if you do tell Kim, he'll go, no, you're not. Should we talk a bit more about Joyce? I was dispatched to handle a strike, not a lynching. Anything I can do to assist the RCM in this matter, I will, gladly. Joyce has, like, a lot of things to her, especially with, like, what she can reveal to you about the world. And some of the quotes, like, even, like, in the in the Washington Post review, like, they pointed out, like, Joyce will just in the middle of conversation say, it's like, oh, yeah, capitalism consumes all critiques against it and absorbs it into itself, like, She's an interesting character, but she also has one of my favorite dialogue options in the game, which is just like, you seem rich. Can you give me some money? Yeah, and if you're a communist, you get points for it. If you have Mazovian socioeconomics, you can, you, yeah, she'll, she'll give you money and you have, to, you have to haggle it down if you ask for something ridiculous. I think I managed to get her to give me the entire cost of, like, the hotel damages bill, which was, like, 130 reals. Wow. So, yeah, nice. you can you can get her to give you a lot of money. Um, she's basically your info dump for, like, the lore of the world as well, isn't she? Yeah, Joyce is here to represent Wild Pines in this uh, kind of labor dispute, but nothing's actually happening because she's not being let into the workyard. She's just hanging around on her huge boat, which you can give her shit about. Really is the eel's hips. And the opening dialogue option for it is, you're on a boat. <laughs> yeah. She's like, yeah, are you going to talk shit to me about that? <laughs> Hell yeah, I am. Class more time, baby. Yeah, yeah. It's like, uh, you're on a boat. Mm, yes, what about it? No, there's not many other boats here, are there? She is also the character that first introduces the concept of the pale. It is hidden behind a, a pretty big skill check, but it's one of the more explicitly... Like, I mean, you can't really call it supernatural because it's part of the game world, but it has... You know, a very, a very, like, a... It's one of the only fantasy concepts. It, yeah, it's kind of fantasy, but it also has, like, kind of a sci-fi sort of vibe, too. Like, it talks about, like, like you see the maps, and, like, the edges of the maps have, like, weird equations over them. Like, it's it's something, it's like, it, it, it you know, it's made up of, of disused information and, and, and various various kinds of things. Like, they, they try to explain it in scientific terms as well as fantastical ones yeah kim can't be there while you talk about this right he can but you need him to trust you i think and you need to ask him to leave because he doesn't want to hear anything about this because it's very disturbing to him yeah and to you it's very interesting because you're just you know here for the ride like jamais vous is one of the thoughts you get because it's it, it it tells you you're all experiencing this for the first time this is a new you the pale is like it's like an absence kind of that surrounds the various bits of land in the world. It's not water, it it's like everywhere. It's in the air and stuff, uh, between land masses and on top of some land masses as well, and it's getting larger and swallowing up the world. And it's it's something to do with like human thought, right? Human thought generates pale, is that kind of how it works? There's several theories in the game as to what it is. But the most compelling theory is that it is thoughts that just have nowhere to go, like history itself cascading back onto itself. This is what we mean by creating context, Raiden. <laughs> All of the disused junk information. 
but it is it is very interesting because it also helps exp- because all these characters are literally mired in history of this world that you're in like Joyce especially is over radiated so like she not only has a very overly expensive education that she's willing to share with you if you get the check for the reality lowdown and the fundamental history of the world there's so much lore there and the way it pulls you in is very good because later on you also find other characters that that have been in the pale and they will tell you like bits and pieces of the world history that is just very interesting because like they live it every day whether they want to or not i'm overexposed baby my travels take me through the pale dozens of times a year yeah, if you spend too long in the pale, such as if you're like a long-haul lorry driver and you, you have to pass through the pale, or if you are kind of an intercontinental rep like Joyce is, then you go a bit crazy from being exposed to it for too long and you start to have memories of other people because the pale infiltrates your head and starts to overwrite like your own memories, essentially. They are someone's memories, boy. What difference does it make if it's me or not? Yes. The pale itself is, it's described as like a pitch black ocean at the edge of the world, where it's just like staring into the ocean at night. It's just infinitely large, huge. You don't really know it's there, but you, you know it's there. You, know? you don't really see it, but you know it's there. It separates the isolas in the world of Disco Elysium. An isola is just like this self-contained mass of land and or water that is separated by just large swaths of this pale that is growing and the world doesn't have long left to go, which is a very interesting analogy to, you know, parallel to our current climate change because both of these are man-made. I think the difference is we know how to control climate change and... uh... They have theories on how to control the pale as well. But at the same time, yeah, like climate change is so much more tangible. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> of a thing. Like the pale is literally just, yeah, history's going to eat you. Mm-hmm. I wonder if it's some sort of commentary on like the internet and how much just data we are we are archiving in places. Yeah, and... yeah, hence the Patriots comment. But I mean, to go even more directly philosophical, there's a Slavoj Žižek comment that every revolution carries with it the ghosts of previous revolutions. And that anytime you feel like something new is going to happen, you are going to bring in a whole bunch of baggages of you know just baggage from the past of unresolved con conflicts of things still in contention that don't wind up getting discussed or worked through during these kind of various periods of some would call it stability others would call it ossification yeah i didn't actually talk to joyce about the pale until at least 15 hours into my first playthrough because i was playing the like fake it till you make it cop so i didn't want anyone to know that i had no idea what i was doing or the fact that i didn't know anything about the world so it got to a point where i needed to know about the pale otherwise i had a really bad detriment to a check and i was like what the shit is this and who do i talk to about it so you can miss out on some big stuff by refusing to admit that you don't know anything i guess yeah, I didn't learn about the pale until like I think like day four on my physical playthrough because like I'm not making any of those kinds of checks. It is also a nice time to have that kind of reveal because you know you you you're making progress in the case and then you all of a sudden hit like kind of this dead 
and when you get there in the setting is the pale common knowledge yes does the average guy know about this people yeah, know about it they just don't knows. talk about it oh and they downplay the knowledge actively because they know oh shit this is going to end all of us but we still have to live <laughs> yeah it is literally wiping out like the surface of the planet so eventually the planet will cease to exist because of it they even question whether or not it's like a spheroid world yeah at all like if it ever was they've had trouble reaching orbit uh, as joyce said uh, yeah, they've tried to use uh, weather balloons, and literally, like, it's indescribable from, like, even suborbital heights. There's arcs of it as well. It's like, it's not just, like, an ocean that just sticks to the surface of a planetoid. It's, like, fragmented. It's ve- it's described very abstract. The way I imagine it is just, like, uh, you know, like, the surface of a sun that has, like, these these arcs and flares constantly just yeah dotting the surface and like that's kind of yeah, how that, i imagine that's it, how i imagined it yeah. it's like you and you have all these disjointed land masses these isolas just floating in between that giant chaos of of just there's nothing all right now let's move on um there's a there's a pretty significant plot beat here that doesn't fit cleanly into one of my one of my notes but i'll bring it up at the end of your first day, if you haven't managed to get the 130 real, if you haven't haggled the price down, if you haven't gotten the money for Joyce or whatever, uh, you just can't pay for your room, Kim will sell these big fancy rims that he's got in the back of his trunk. He'll take you to the pawn shop. Oh no! Yeah. Mm-hmm. I would never want to do that to Kim. Yeah, he confiscated them off some like speed racers or something that he booked, and he was going to put them on his car, I think, was the idea. Like, which shows that Kim's got a bit of a a bit of a sneaky side to him as well. Like he's not always a by the books cop. I just but, want to learn uh, more about Kim. Jeez. Seems nice. <laughs> yeah, he, he sells them and he pays for your room for the night. Yeah, you take him to this really uh, sketchy pawn shop dude who is high on pyrholidon, which is LSD. Or oh, actually, it's an anti-radiation drug, isn't it, that people used to get high? Yeah. It's an actual thing in the former Soviet Union. That's what people did instead of acid there, I guess. After that, if you can't pay for your room, there is a lose state where you die because you can't pay for your room. I thought, uh, I didn't do this, but selecting, selecting the fought Hobocop, I thought, would let you just sleep out in the, out in the city. Yeah, like you sleep on the, uh, the bench, right? I have seen that there's a game over state that says that you were found in a dumpster, um, dead, because you had no place to sleep. Am I wrong about this, or? Uh, I think it's very specific if you want to trigger that, because you have to, like, get the body down and get Kim to, you know, go away for the day. And then you run into the issue of, oh shit, I don't have money. I need to pay for my room. Oh no, oh no, oh no. And if you don't have Hobocop, I think you you can't sleep on the bench either, so you just die. Yeah, I think that must be it. Like, there is, like, you, you can, like, it's very hard to get there. And I don't think many players will get it, but it is possible yeah. that you, you just run into that. Before we move on, because we, we forgot to mention this, and I thought it was a really good character building scene, when you make the radio call, at least for me, was when I also checked the ledger for the first time. Oh, yeah. oh yes. You get the smoke. And, like, Kim walks you through it and, like, points out, I was like, oh, no, you were a really good cop. Like, you you have, like, like over, like, 25 years or so, like, you have three kills. It's pretty low. Well, it's like extremely low compared to like like a lot of RCM. Like Kim points out, it's like, oh yeah, no, like a lot of people in this are, are just flat like sadists and, and just want to kill people. It's like a grim like sport to them. And he has just like an absurd number of cases solved as well. 
your guy, I guess, was the he was just the Ric Flair of the police world. Like he just worked, he just worked all the time, like just getting a, an extreme amount of shit done. Pretty fucked up, probably drunken on drugs, but he got he got the, he got the work done. Yeah, he got his own unit at the end. He was pretty high up. Like the only rank higher than him was just captain of your own precinct. Yeah, and he d he didn't want to take it. You find out later because he likes detecting. Yeah, and he denied that promotion twice because he's a superstar detective. Well, you can be a superstar detective as your copo type. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. So day two, I think, is when the the Hardy Boys show up. Yeah, it's kind of clear from the get go that these are the guys who hung the dead man in the tree. They they'll say it. They admit it. Yeah, you can talk to them and they'll be like, "Yeah, we did it." And that's when the alarm bells ring and you're like, no, you fucking didn't, because you wouldn't just admit that to me if you had actually done it. Yeah, you can go, so which one of you was it? And they go, no, it was all of us. Now what are you going to do, arrest all of us, the two of you? You can get a game over screen, by the way, with that one too. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. They're, they're banking on the fact that you are not getting reinforcements for this. You're not going to get all of them arrested. Yeah. What you can also do is you can hold off with confronting them until much later on. And like the game can also will also suggest that, that to you. It's like... Instead of just confronting them head on, how about you just move right along with them, ignore them, it's a power move, do it, come on, fucking ignore them, go on, do your side quest, go on, go on! They're right in your hotel, sitting around the lobby, getting drunk, chatting, like, Titus Hardy is up front, arms folded, like, clearly looking for you to start shit. Wow, the RCM sent us some big dick cops! Yeah, these yes. guys are like the law around here, essentially. They are yeah. the union's enforcers, they try and keep the peace, and authority, your authority stat and esprit de corps will basically say, you know, Titus Hardy, he he's a bit of a dick, but actually he'd make a good cop. Yeah. That's what you do if you pass if you pass in a short authority check, is you compare these guys to a bunch of like dumbass cops sitting around drinking beer, comparing dick sizes. Not getting anything done. Which, as a gay man, like, I mean, that doesn't sound like the worst afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> you basically, like, slyly say to Kim, Oh, hey, this reminds me of back at the precinct, eh, Kim? <laughs> Load of assholes just sitting around not doing their jobs. Yeah, and this actually does have some of the better kind of, like, sarcastic dialogue mm. in the game. And definitely where the, some of the skills really shine through, especially... I don't know uh, if you guys got this, but definitely like a lot of the physical skill checks where you are like measuring up each of these people and like isolate the one fat guy. The entire time you're talking to the Hardy Boys, you're probing them for a weakness and you find out that Fat Angus is like, he's the easiest to break. So you start zoning in on him and basically say, Fat Angus, like what actually happened, and he, he kind of admits some shit about it. He starts blabbering. If you ask Titus Hardy about anything, he's just gonna stonewall you because he knows what you're doing. But since this is a group of men, the other guys can't help but chime in with comments about everything he says, and yeah. that's what that's what <laughs> lets you break these guys. Yeah, much like your own brain, only allowed. Maybe all those people are Titus Hardy's skills. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very manager way to start looking at things uh. yeah. <laughs> but essentially you find out through whatever means that yes these guys were at the crime scene if you've already looked at the footprints you match each of these people at this table to the footprints except for one so you know that there was someone present at the hanging who is not here that you're speaking to at the moment and you can ask about that and they get very defensive about it yeah, Everard's lawyer is here uh, basically Basically just begging Titus to shut the fuck up and he won't. 
I'll be keeping an eye on you. The district of Martinez does not recognize your authority to make arrests. She goes home eventually, doesn't she? She's like, I've had enough. She, she goes home. She eventually when... leaves after you get like a bit further in the case and he like breaks on it. One of the things like it, it consistently comes up in this game, but like this game does a really good job of kind of worming through all the different facets of machismo. Yeah. Yeah, totally. In all the different ways that like, you know, people can bluster and sort of try and conceal their emotions, but really fail at it. Like there's a lot of posturing especially in this part of the game where you're going through like three different groups of people like lying. I'll talk about that later. I like I love the way um the the writing of Titus and his uh, like his feelings towards Claustia and what happened is fucking great. Mm. Yeah. I'll talk about that in a moment. Anyway, back to uh back to the lawyer. You get the hint that the ninth person was a woman, but it's not her. Yeah, also um when she goes away, she doesn't go home. She goes towards the coast. And she says so. I'm going to go for a long walk past the coast. Oh. To, to think about things. I didn't pick up on that, but I get what you're saying there. And there is a phone line at the coast. Now, who else has a phone line in Martinez? The unions. No. So it's quite clear that she's going there to inform Everard and to maybe also inform someone else. Even though it's, uh, it's clearly quicker to walk up the stairs to Everard <laughs> rather than like phone. But yeah, I get what you're saying. Yeah. The Hardy Boys are the, they're the mid-level hurdle of the game. You have a lot of the pieces necessary to solve the case already, but since you have to basically get these guys out of the way, they're trying to take the fall, uh, and you can't let them. Yes. Like, they confess to a crime, but you have to rule them out. And it's very hard when a confession is basically what you convict people on in a criminal case. Mm. Yeah. So if any normal cop would have gone, okay, that done, case closed, come up. Less work for me. Yep, they would have said, this is done now, here and there. To try and deflect from the crime that they're saying they committed, they basically say that the, the man who was hanged was a rapist and generally not a nice person. You convince them to tell you who was raped or who he sexually assaulted. They tell you that the woman you met on the first day when you came out of your room is the one of the people who was assaulted by him. If you pass the check with her in the very beginning of the game, like she basically hints it, and it's like it's like, uh, well, I, at least it's gonna be you who's questioning me later. I mean, you can also just not interact with her at all. The, the check, by the way, the check is to hit on her. Yeah, which I never succeeded on. If you don't succeed in hitting on her, your guy blurts out. I uh I want to make fuck on you or some <laughs> something to that nature, and she just scoffs and goes, "Well, it's gonna suck for you when you have to interview me later." <laughs> and goes, yes, yes, yes. "It's gonna suck for you later when you have to interrogate me." I mean, she says that even if you succeed the check. Oh, she doesn't take kindly to you hitting on her either way, really. The only good conclusion to that interaction, if you if you just don't interact with her, if she if, if she says hello, officer, and you just go turn your face away, keep walking, because if you do that, she won't have any ammunition against you when you do have to interview her, and she will use ammunition against her to try and drive a wedge between you and Kim. Because the way you interact with people and what you say to them, it can give you positive or negative influence to like passing checks. So um, if you say the wrong thing, you can get like minus one to a roll and things that will really make it hard to pass certain checks and therefore work out when people are lying to you and stuff like that. By the way, another subcultural thing with uh, Klausia, 
She is played by Dasha Nekrasova, one of the co-hosts of the Red Scare podcast, who formerly dated Adam Friedland, who is a co-host of Cometown with Nick Mullen. Let's not go into that level of online shit. That, that's going to get too deep. You can tell who these guys followed on Twitter. What brings this supposedly regular law official back to me? So when you go to interview her, uh, you can search her room before you go up. You find a load of drugs. She's got speed in the medicine cabinet here. Yeah, which there's a really good bit here where you can take the speed out of her cabinet. And if you fail to like take it out subtly so that Kim doesn't see, you just drop it on the floor and (laughs) Kim sees you take it and you still pocket it anyway. But you're like, ah, shit, Kim (laughs) saw that, but I can't hide the fact I was stealing it now. But yeah, you go and interrogate her and this can go a number of ways because it was very different on my second playthrough than my first playthrough with this character. The big deal about her is if you have a high enough volition. If you don't have a high enough volition, you won't realize. Yes, this is an amazing fucking moment too. Yes, almost everything she says is like a subtle lie or a manipulation of some sort. Well, let's talk about the surface level shit she says first. She's been out on the roof smoking for the past week, having to stare at the body of the dude. She denies being raped. They were actually, like, fucking, like, consensually for a few weeks before the murder. And rather aggressively as well, I might add. Yeah, and doing drugs and drinking and... Laying waste to their nervous system. Direct quote. Also, we didn't mention, but Titus Hardy has also had sex with this woman as well. Mm. And there was also a loose fling with another person, the missing Hardy Eighth. Yes. But yeah, they've been sucking and fucking and touching. And she says she's the one that made the call to the station to report him dead. And she tells you a little bit about him. She doesn't know his real name, but she calls him Lely because he was from Lely's Grad or something like that. Lely starts. She basically tells you about the hanging and things. And about the dude. He was he was a piece of shit, like total piece of shit. An Orangese mercenary who was in the in the Vietnam War stand in. I don't know if it comes out here, but he like he raped and killed civilians there. He wasn't a pleasant guy. And the way he talks about like having sex, he talks about doing it in a certain style that is like referencing uh, a load of villages that were raped Panoi, and stuff. Panoi style, Panoi style. style. But it's basically, it's their version of uh, My Lai yeah. uh, in Vietnam. Yeah, she found this oddly romantic, though. She was into this dude. She's got some kicks. It's the machismo thing again, isn't it? Like, he's another facet of male sort of machismo bravado sort of that she found attractive. Well, and she does talk about kind of uh, her sort of ironic detachment relating to things and and viewing things through the world of uh, Orange Lit, the literary tradition of her country. And uh, I gotta say, as someone that has... uh has actually read Orangey's Lit for high school. I cannot empathize enough with a line that it's bullshit and that it's useless and that it's 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 a it's a fucking worthless part of literature. Don't don't go too deep into it. I like that they just mentioned how bad it was like subtly and didn't go too far into it because you really shouldn't. Well, why is it bullshit? Oh, it's just it it is just all from what I was forced to read for high school, it's all just uh, middle-aged old men writing about sex. And all it's like doing book two. Only all of Dutch li- literature is almost like that. <laughs> it's, it's very bad. It's not good reading. And that's what, you, what, what our school system forces 13-year-olds to read. Oh, shit. Yeah, it's very fucked up. <laughs> Actually, that sounds like a lot of Swedish literature as well. That's just literature, isn't it? <laughs> really? 
Titus has this tape of the murder victim talking about how he's gonna rape Claustia and he's gonna do it, what was it, Danang style or whatever. It's spliced together audio footage of him saying horrible shit. You can confront Colossi with this and she's not that mad. Like, she doesn't really care. She laughs it off, basically. And, like, this is what I love about Titus, is that, like, he gets mad at her for this. He doesn't understand why she's not outraged. Like, he doesn't get it. He is outraged for her because he, like, he just doesn't understand their relationship. He's obviously jealous. Like, he wants to get back with her, right? Well, it's part that and it's part, it's part of their ploy of, like, protecting the eighth hardy boy. Yeah. It's part of their, you gotta play along with us, or you're gonna fuck over this eighth person, which I think you like and helped you. So you should definitely show some fucking unity, lady. Yeah. And, like, there's a lot of aspects to why he's pissed off, but there's a lot of very righteous anger to it that isn't just he's jealous. (laughs) Titus had a lot of genuine feelings in this. It was not just part of the cover-up for him. It's also something something that I very much like about the game because there is a lot of kind of layered motivation. And you experience that firsthand with Harry himself, but if you can kind of imagine other people having their fucking skills talking to them while they're speaking as well, it's a way of conceptualizing how, how these characters are kind of going through the world as well. Yeah, but it's also like Clasha is just backstabbing the Hardy Boys because they are protecting her as well. They are protecting Clasha as well. Like they won't even let you speak to her unless you act like convince them that there's no way they could have killed the mercenary. So there's more to it. And then they go, okay, well, maybe you should talk to her because they're still trying to get you off the case. They're still trying to mislead you. Yeah, and they expect her to play along yes. with their version of events, but she completely doesn't. She, she from the get go, tries to lead you to the other Hardy Boy to secure her own safety. Yeah, which honestly, I get from them. That's fucked up. I get like I they should be angry at her for various reasons, and it's not just Titus that's angry. The rest of the crew is also pissed. Yeah, but you can work out that she's playing a game as well. So we talked about the volition check. Well, what you learn from the volition check is that your voices these skills have been lying to you as well if you fail the check like you can guess it's like wait am i being like transfixed like are you is he am i attracted to this person as well as my skills are you are biased (laughs) yeah yeah but yeah if you succeed in it your volition explains to you that yes all of your skills have been compromised like you are in the presence of someone who's incredibly skilled at manipulating so much to the point where like like she is guiding your instincts and your subconscious away from what you should logically be able to figure out and he points out that like oh yeah all of these other voices are potentially compromised yeah don't trust any of them except for me from now on it even tells you don't trust kim he's compromised too yeah yeah, yeah. And, it, and, it, and it's it's such a nice thing to put at the at the kind of middle of the game by this point, one or two of your skills might be, like, really high. Yeah. Yeah, it's a really good moment because there's a couple of other moments where your brain talks to itself as well. But yeah. there's very few moments where all of your skills just start talking to each other and arguing with each other. And you're like, actually, yeah, why why do I believe these guys on everything? Because sometimes they lead you to do stupid or bad stuff. Mm-hmm. You oh. shouldn't always trust what they're saying. On my cheating playthrough where I had 666 on, on all the skills, there was a cacophony voices at that segment it was just like every skill was pitching in going no no no, she's meaning this and like even if you if you cheat at that point it becomes very clear none of these guys can agree on a single thing 
what I remember specifically was uh, Volition says, where the fuck is drama? Drama is supposed to be telling you that she's lying. And then yeah. drama like chimes in and goes, uh, oh, yes, yes, sorry. she's lying. She's, um, sorry, hello. Oh, yeah. And drama also becomes way more deferential to you at that point. Drama every once in a while refers to you as sire. It just talks in like a Shakespearean dialect because it's drama. I think on my first playthrough, I just had a high enough drama stat that it was like, she's lying, and I didn't get this volition check. So you can do it that way, I think, if you've got enough drama. I think you will only get like, she's lying about one specific thing, but you yeah. won't get the realization that she's lying about pretty much everything, that there's a lie embedded in everything she's saying. After that, you get a whole new line of questioning about her, and you find out that she used to work as a spy. She's been lying to you because she's worried because the company that runs the RCM, the like police that you work for, is also the people that were on the opposite side of, of who she was spying for. Is that right? She She's afraid of your bosses, essentially, right? Yeah. So she lies to you so that you are less likely to take her in because then she is worried about being assassinated or something. And part of why she's been doing this, uh, why she's been making your life harder by cutting the phone line and stuff is because she called it in. Like, she called in that there had been a murder, which was a huge mistake for her because if she ends up on police records, that means she's fucked the moral intern will find her. Yeah, yeah. But she did it anyway because she couldn't sit there and look at the body anymore. It had been hanging there for so long that she was just sick of it. And she took the risk. And watching the little child who I wanted to punch in the face, and I, I did. I, yeah, no, like watching a kid like throw rocks at not just like your friend, like someone who you rather very intimate with like she kind of like lays out you know it was this wasn't like full-on romantic love he wasn't the one but but she was still pretty close with him and like literally like watching that happen is upsetting to a point and she she does make the effort to disguise her voice i've got other theories on this but i'll save them till the end of the game i think to talk about so we'll unpack this a bit more at this point you can arrest her you can threaten to arrest her as well, and then she'll instantly give up uh, Ruby. The ninth hardy boy, Ruby. The lady. You can also find out that she is a lady earlier if you do the quest for Joyce. Yep, and she is the one who has the worn down soul that was unaccounted for from the footprints. Yes. And you find out that she's a lorry driver, which explains why her soul is worn down. And if you go search her lorry, you find there's sandpaper specifically on the foot pedal, which would wear it down even more. So yeah, that's that's how you find out about Ruby, essentially. Yeah, when you cleared everything with both the Hardy Boys and Klausia and got the truth out, your current version of the story is Klausia and the victim were fucking in the, uh, what do you call it, roof apartment? Yeah. The top floor apartment, when he was shot through the window, Ruby showed up and just had it all taken care of, had the Hardy Boys parade the dead body around and hang it as a show to the people around the neighborhood, like, basically to turn them all into witnesses to a fake crime. And so, because you know about the bullet in the head, that's how you know to ask about him being shot. Like you said, sort of, it was. We're told it's Ruby's idea to hang the man and make it look like a hanging, which points you towards thinking Ruby shot him and then covered it up. The question is, where did the shot come from? And you can do ballistics on the window, which doesn't really make sense because the window that you look at is a replacement. It's not the smashed window from where the bullet hit. But you can you can look and figure out there's only three points or four, four points, actually, four points where the bullet 
could have come from. So you decide to go and investigate those areas of Martinez? At this point, you're given, you're given a few reasons to look into Ruby. Klausia mentions that Ruby was like into Klausia. So you have a motive, like she wanted to kill that dude because she was jealous. You also find a secret path, a secret corridor, at least a secret elevator that leads down into the kitchen. That leads to one of the most exciting secrets, that it's part of the doomed commercial complex. <laughs> we'll get to that in side quest, but yeah. Uh, which, which basically gives you a reason to think Ruby could have been hanging out with the Hardy Boys, take a step out, uh, take the secret elevator up, shoot the dude, go back down, and then... Uh, just act out the rest of the yeah act out the rest of the scene as described which by the way volition if you got the check will instantly tell you it's a bit far-fetched yes all of this is a red herring there's also a bullet-sized hole in the wall like in the secret compartment behind the room which made me wonder actually if the shot had come from inside from behind that wall for ages like that was my working theory in my first playthrough but then why the glass break because it was shot from inside and went out through the glass. As someone who has lived in Baltimore and had a bullet come through my window, that immediately got dismissed just by knowing how bullets reduce velocity going through uh, different different things. Like I was living in Baltimore and my roommate came in at one point. I, I like had headphones on. He's like, Mike, you want to see something really freaky? And we go to the window and there's just a there's a bullet hole in it. And we're looking all around the room because we're thinking it's like, oh, yeah, no, a bullet went through the window like like it, there's a hole in the wall somewhere. And it had gone through the window and bounced off the drapes. It had lost so much velocity just from going through that. I had the same working theory of it's like, yeah, no, there's the bullet size hole. It went through and like shattered the glass. But then you also find the bullet in the guy. Yeah, I just I just instantly thought Garta was just spying. It was like, ooh. Yeah, yeah, no, no. I felt like I was going on a wild goose chase. I felt like it was a red herring and I was like, I don't, I've, I've got weird stuff going on behind this thing. So I kind of fixated on it a bit, but, um, but you know, the real mystery was, uh, you know, the real adventure was the skills you made friends with along the way. How many of you arrested Clash? Oh yeah, that's a good point. I didn't on my first... Second playthrough, I, I did. Second playthrough, I did. It doesn't really change anything. Well, you know, she she probably gets sent to like a work camp or some shit. She pleads with you not to arrest her, uh, knowing that the moral intern is going to kill her. Kim wants her arrested, of course. Kim's actually sympathetic. Kim has some sympathy. Like, Kim explicitly says, I'm going to try and hold it up as much as I can. And also... Kim suggests instead of arresting her, you just give her a slip, a station call. Yeah, yeah. So that if she doesn't, if she doesn't make that deadline, then it's on her own. Yeah, she can report in two months to the police station or be considered a fugitive. You ask her what's going to be different in two months, and she says, "I don't know. I'll be tried in a free revenge show. Maybe the revolution will have happened by then." This actually got to me, and that ended up convincing me to serve her the station call, which she immediately bails on. She doesn't immediately bail on it, but she does, after you get to the mercenary tribunal, she will be bailing, and no matter what you did. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I figure we'll, we'll wrap this up. We're about halfway through the game. I want to talk about side quests. <laughs> we'll do that next time. I figure we'll, we'll finish up by ending on karaoke. Yeah, this will be a two-parter. I can't sit around here all night. At this point, your investigation is going to lead you to the fishing village across the canal. It opens up by day three. You can go there and do side quests, but this is the point where you actually have to go there to do the main story. We're going to cover all that next time. And to finish up, we're going to talk about doing karaoke in the Whirling and Rags. Hell yes. This was something that was incredibly jarring to me. So you remember your, the voice for your ancient reptilian brain. 
Yes. yes. And the, it is also the voice for your limbic system. Mm -hmm. If we were to accept the, the, the diegetic answer, as in like the, like, like how it is presented to us on screen, like the audio we hear, and we're not going to go, oh, that's like the, that's the audio within the guy's head or something, or that's kind of your internal voice saying it. That is Harry's voice. You only get to hear Harry's voice once, and it's for this. And for some reason, like, it's also the voice of your, your reptilian brain. And for some reason, like, seeing some of the dialogue options, it makes you intensely curious because there's lots of times where Harry is very playful and kind of sarcastic or he's charming. And it, I, I struggle to imagine that, like, gravelly voice saying those things. Well, it depends, because once you do the karaoke, if you pass the check and get the, the good check, you sing it in his reptilian brain voice, which is the gravelly, like, really deep sort of... Tom Waits. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. British voice. Tom Waits, yes. How many promises have you kept lately, Sir Harry? If you fuck up the check, then if you, you fuck up the check, it. you sound like Animage. Yeah, you sing it as the limbic system. Don't be stupid, Harry. It's not happening. They don't make new kidneys and livers in hospital. These, I don't know if you're just supposed to sort of suppose these are the ranges that Harry can work in. Like he's got a, a massive range, vocal range. Um, but it sounds really awful. It sounds really awful either way, but it's worse if you're the limbic system one, definitely. There's a certain charm to the first one. It's it's like a he he does like a a, a monologue of it almost like Shatner. He doesn't really sing it. <laughs> yeah. No, the the reptilian one is okay. It's 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 more of a it's more of a blues kind of style. It's 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 different than you'd expect. But I've heard that kind of singing before in like uh, clubs and pubs live, and it's it's it it has its charm. It's a very brown kind of uh... something to to note about this, and you'll you'll know this also as a singer, uh, Ian, is that that specific gravelly tone is not necessarily deep. Yeah, no, it's not. Like like yeah, if you if you're if you're to match it on a piano, it's not like actually in like a low range. Like the timbre of it makes it sound very desiccated you know kind of old yeah but but in terms of actual pitch content it's not super deep and i mean even just like listening to the limbic system version right now it's like oh no it's very clearly the same voice actor i mean because even just 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 like thinking of my voice you're going back to something like this yeah because you're you're yeah. you're just vibrating on the back of your throat but then, but then for the limbic system, what you're doing is uh, falsetto. Well, it's not even necessarily. It's it, it's closer to like head voice because he's not going you know full on like ah la la la. He's going ah 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 ah. He's doing the Morty voice <laughs> a bit. Well, while he's singing, he is, but not while he's like just reading dialogue. He does break into it because not to go too deep into the physics of it, but you're talking about basically like your vocal cords are are a chord, they're a string, and you're hitting the harmonics of it. You're doubling the frequency each time, and then that gets you to different points on the, uh, on, on the scale in the overtone series. When you're within like a baritone range, if that's kind of specifically where you are, because falsetto is kind of the harmonics of that, you have a much broader falsetto yeah if your voice is a lot higher your falsetto starts to get out of like audible range not like supersonic but out of the range where you can you can really project on it and if your voice is lower the equivalent of your falsetto sort of breaks yeah i i am baritone and i know as baritone you just have a little bit of overlap 
with the higher and lower ranges. Yeah. A little bit. Like you don't get into the super deep, you don't get into the super high, you won't hit like those really high Cs yeah. for some opera performances that you 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 will you, you just need to get a tenor for. But like you can do pretty well like in in, in like amateur performances. Unfortunately, Harry doesn't. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Harry, but 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 uh, uh, Kim does praise you on your performance in the ancient reptilian brain because it is it is like it is kind of a heartfelt moment and it and it's kind of the callback. It's one of the first sort of clues that unlocks what happened the night before. Like like what did you get incredibly sad listening to? It's a nice character moment after doing so much role-playing as this person, it's like, oh, look, no, this is personal to him. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a heartfelt... Like, it's him singing about his past, essentially. If you sing it well, though, then you earn the respect of Gart, the uh, cafeteria manager. <laughs> yes. Um, the other thing that it's, it's not going to take long to talk about, just that you can do once you get to the fishing village, is you can shave. And... Shaving is a terrible idea. Big mistake. Don't do it. It's a, the worst idea. Like, Kim fucking says so as well afterwards. And you can trust Kim on this because Kim is part of the <clears throat> homosexual underground. After 30 years of drugs and alcohol, you're not going to find a pretty face under those bristles. Yeah. It's even worse if you've also lost the expression, so you're not even oh. smiling. Oh, God. Yeah, no, that is, that is, that is... I, I need a poster of that in my office for just like how I feel going into work some days. I don't want to look at it ever again. Having that in the bottom left of your screen for the entire rest of your playthrough is not fun. This concludes part one of our in-depth discussion on Disco Elysium. We'll be getting together again shortly to discuss part two. Thank you all for listening. This has been fucking awesome. I always wish we did more uh, more book club specials because they are always my favorites. Yes. Still, we only do like once every two years. <laughs> if you want to watch my playthrough, both of them, they're all on our YouTube. So uh, feel free to check those out. To play us out, the smallest church in St. Sans. and go there to the tiny church there the smallest church in San San now it, it once was, was larger. larger how the realm may rest there Through the mist Toward the Seven Sisters Towards those pale cliffs there I would often stay there In a tiny yard there I have been so glad here Looking, Looking forward to the past here But now You are all
matters. Now, none of this matters. 